uh, welcome to church today. Glad you're here. We're going to jump right in uh, to Acts chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. And um, I believe like that the word of the Lord this morning for us is um, that we're called to live like an Acts chapter 4 type of people, an Acts chapter 4 type of people. And it's different than we have been living. We've been living in um, a time in human history, in our nation, where for the most part, uh, Christianity, our faith, has been agreeable uh, with the masses. Uh, it's been agreeable, and there hasn't been a lot of conflict between Christians in the U.S. and our government, or Christians and uh, society. Um, and persecution, is, we haven't faced a lot of persecution as Americans. That can be something you're thankful for, but also something you need to be aware of, that it's kind of abnormal. Uh, Christians all over the world face persecutions, and throughout human history, Christianity has spread the most when it's been persecuted the strongest. So when the early church, when they were being literally stoned and put to death and imprisoned, Christianity was spreading at its, its highest rate in those years. And one of the reasons is because people scattered, the Christians scattered. They scattered throughout the known area, and they brought the gospel wherever they went. And there's something about persecution, there's something about challenges that brings about the power of a God in a whole new way. And it brings a seriousness to our faith. Are you like me and you've sensed a, like a little bit of seriousness in your faith? Lindsay said it this morning, that there is a need for the people of God in our generation to get real serious about what we believe and why we believe it. Not just because the world is asking, but because we need to know. <laughs> Right? We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. That's always been true, but now Christianity and our values, and I see this increasing as the days continue, are coming with a price tag. Has anybody seen a little bit of social persecution against some of the values that you hold? It's not, it's not huge persecution. Nobody's losing jobs yet. Um, but there's some social nuances to our value system that does not fit with our current society. That's the version of the world at an extreme level that the early church finds itself in in Acts chapter 4. Um, here's the thing. I'd, I'd like to say this. Everyone is comfortable with Jesus and Christianity and Christians until he starts to do stuff and change things. Have you noticed that? Like everybody's comfortable with Jesus as long as it's your Jesus, your private, personal belief system that you keep away from all of us. <laughs> Everybody's comfortable with Jesus, with Christianity, with the values, until he starts to do things and change things. Jesus comes into my life. He comes into your life. He comes into human history uh, really to disrupt things. He disrupts the status quo, and he makes all of us uncomfortable. In fact, that's ultimately what got him killed, right? The reason he's taken to the cross is because he's disrupting society with his message. He's disrupting society with his power. He's disrupting society with his influence, and it's making everybody nervous. We see this most in the Pharisees. You've seen them. You've heard about them in Scripture. You've read about them. They, they reel against Jesus, and they always have something to say against Jesus. And one of the reasons that's true is because his message is disrupting their status quo. Things were a certain way for generations, and they were in the seat of power both politically and also spiritually. They had this religious seat of power, and Jesus came and he disrupts that. And so this idea of tranquil, peaceful Jesus, I mean, yes, he is the Prince of Peace, but there's a scripture that said he didn't come to bring peace. 
How does that work? He's the prince of peace, but he didn't come to bring peace. Well, because any time that the kingdom of God wants to do something into the kingdom of this world, there is a pushback from the enemy of this world, right? From the enemy of darkness, from Satan himself. There's this pushback from our enemy because God's wanting to do something. Jesus isn't just interested in societal peace. He's not just interested in societal love. He's interested in bringing humanity into a place of peace with God. And sometimes that comes with a fight. <laughs> sometimes that comes with a lot of pressure. Um, he disrupts religious control. He disrupts the leadership systems of his day. And you can see the Pharisees, they're fighting to hang on to an old system that they had grown familiar with. And Jesus and his kingdom won't have it. He's going to change things. The Pharisees are fighting to maintain. Have any of you found yourself like, have you heard the phrase, I'll put it this way. Have you heard the phrase, the new normal? You've probably heard. Who, who doesn't like it? Who doesn't like the new normal? <laughs> I'm not just talking about the phrase. I don't like the new normal. <laughs> I, I find myself like wanting the old normal. <laughs> old normal was way better than the new normal. I don't like the new normal. I don't want it to be a part of my life. I want it to go away. Uh, I want the old normal back. The or old normal was way better. The six-month-ago normal, I like that normal. The Pharisees find themselves in this situation where God is trying to do something through the person of Jesus, through his son. <clears throat> He's trying to bring salvation to a hurting world. And the Pharisees want the old normal back. They're not on board with what God is doing in the kingdom. Now, we've heard that phrase, the new normal, and it kind of gets frustrated. And we know politically what that means and all those different things. But there is a new normal that Jesus wants all of us to live into. And it's a good thing, not a bad thing but we desperately want to hold on to the old things. I think there's a fight in the body of Christ right now in all of us as believers to fight for the new normal of the kingdom of God and let go of the old normal. The old normal of Christianity, you know, six months ago, a year ago, it's pretty casual stuff, right? <laughs> pretty casual for American Christianity. We come, we go, we leave, and not much, you know, everybody's good. Like, oh, I'd love to be together. You know, um, fellowship. I love fellowship. I love hanging out. I love spending time with people. That's a value of the kingdom of God. But there is also this kingdom that's advancing. And we're also called soldiers of Christ. And there's a lot of metaphor into what it means to be a military unit for the Lord. What I am learning about the kingdom of God in this season and following Jesus in this season is how uncomfortable I actually am with change how uncomfortable I actually am, and how much God has to do on the exterior to get me to focus on the interior, right? There has to be all these things around the circumstance that make me uncomfortable for me to actually get alone with the Lord and say, wow, I, there's some stuff on the inside that I need to change. But it's interesting that the stuff on the outside causes me to look on the inside. And so I don't want us to miss the moment that God has us in as a church family, that maybe God has us in this moment of uncomfortability. Maybe there's some redemptive qualities of what God's wanting to do to ramp up our level of growth in him. There's a phrase, I don't know who said it, but blessed are the flexible, for they shall bend and not break. Has anybody ever heard that? Blessed are the flexible, for they shall bend and not break. That's a great phrase for this moment. I don't know who said it. To be a part and to be a part of and at the forefront of what God is doing today requires flexibility from you and I. Say it with me. I am called to be flexible. Go ahead. I know you're at home watching or making breakfast with your kids. Say it with me. 
I am called to be flexible. That's right. I know it's hard to participate sometimes because there's a lot of stuff going on, but hopefully you don't have the news on. Uh, outside, inside, singing, no singing. In these days, the best thing you can do is develop a rhythm of personal growth in Jesus. One of the best things that you can do, and one of the things I think that, that the Lord would be teaching the people of God in this moment, is to not rely solely on the sanctuary or the house or the gathering of the saints for your growth in him. Have you noticed that any point of spiritual growth that you want in the Lord is available to you online? It is. In anything that you want, any information or knowledge or understanding, book studies, Bible, we are the most over-saturated theological generation that has ever lived. Like, I can't even imagine what the Apostle Baal would do with blueletterbible.com. Like, how, how amazing would that resource be for him in leading Bible studies and training up church planters and church, letter, church, uh, church leaders and different things like that? We have a lot of information out there. But God is calling us to dig deep and become personally proactive in our growth with him and not dependent on the, the church. Peter and John, they heal a crippled man in Acts chapter 3. And then here's where I'm going to pick up in Acts chapter 4. In order, for, in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them and speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them, Peter and John, and this is the Pharisees, Acts 4, 17 through 23. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened him, them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So there's this man that's laid at the gate called Beautiful Every Day in Acts chapter 3. And Peter and John, they heal him. And it's a great, amazing moment where this crippled man becomes healed. And he'd been there for 40 years. He'd been crippled since his birth. So people knew him. They understood him. They understood where he was coming from. So this miracle drew a ton of attention, so much so that the Pharisees called in Peter and John, and they kind of scolded them. And uh, the first thing I think we're supposed to take from this is, look, look at what it says. Speak no more to anyone in this name. That's what they're being told by their leaders. Speak no more to anyone in this name. Here's the first thing. God has enemies, right? We, we quote the verse a lot. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers in the darkness. We quote that verse a lot. Uh, and it's a good verse, and it's a true verse. But there are people in our world who have been so lost in confusion that they have become enemies of God. It's not that there's not an opportunity for them to get saved. It's not that there are not an opportunity for them to give their heart to Jesus. But the, even the mere mention of the name of God causes something on the inside of them to draw up as, as hatred and anger and animosity toward God and towards his people. Though our battle is spiritual, we need to understand that there are those in every generation to co committed to an anti-Jesus, anti-Christ agenda. There are people in our world committed to speaking against the things of God. And listen to what they say, speak no more to anyone in this name. There are people in our world who would, who would want nothing more than for the church to be silent about Jesus. The, here's the thing. Um, it's very important that we realize the phrase speak, speak no more. Here's the thing. Everybody's okay with you having a private belief in Jesus. In fact, we've seen this week in China 
um, the Christians are being arrested. Have you seen this? And then in, there's some where welfare is not being given to those Christians who are on welfare and need it. It's not being given if they have Christian images or Bibles in their home. I mean, major government, government intrusion in China against God's people. And this has been happening for years, but we, we see it again ramping up. Um, when we see those things, we have to realize that they're not being persecuted because they believe in Jesus. They're being persecuted because their beliefs in Jesus have gotten on the outside and they're speaking about him. They're speaking about him with what they're putting on their walls, with what they're doing, how they're gathering. In fact, we, we talk about often the early, the, the church in general talks a lot about the Chinese church. And we say, man, their faith and their power you know, when they're being arrested over the last 10 years, they're not being arrested for their belief in Jesus. You can privately believe in Jesus in China and not tell anybody about it. <laughs> Don't let anybody find out. You can privately be a Christian in China right now. It's when you publicly become a Christian in China. It's when you gather. You know, they're being arrested not for simply believing. They're being arrested for gathering. That's how important they feel the gathering together is that they're willing to be arrested for it. They're being arrested for proclaiming. Peter and John find themselves in the same situation. Speak no more to anyone in this name. I think for a long time, I don't know about you, but for a long time, we have a Christian understanding in America of a, well, it's between you and God. Anybody ever hit it's between you and God? There's some good stuff to that. There's some truth to that. But there's also a fallacy to that. Your relationship as a believer cannot just stay between you and God. It has to come out of your mouth. It has to come out of your life. It has to be a part of your lifestyle. And I think more and more we're seeing that come with a cost, with a social cost. And I feel, if anything, that we should be a people who are preparing ourselves not for doom and gloom. I'm not a doom and gloom preacher. I don't think, oh, it's going to get worse. You've read your Bible, right? It gets bad, 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 bad. Has anybody ever, okay, maybe you've not heard a preacher like that. I have. Um, and I get scared every time I, I'm in those kinds of environments. Bad, bad, bad. It's all going to be bad. Woe to you who are in childbirth and pregnant. Ah, ah, woe to you. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh. We got four kids. What are we going to do with them? We have an escape plan, actually. Um, we're not going to tell you where it is, Old Oak Ranch, but that's where we're going with food and guns. I mean, that's our, that's our escape route. But here's the thing, we're, we're coming up to a time, I believe more so, where there will be a cost to our Christianity. There will be a cost to our value system. And I, I just would love for us to be prepared on the front end rather than trying to catch up on the back end. Because if we're trying to catch up on the back end, we'll cave. We'll cave because it's, it's going to be too hard. There's going to be too much pressure. There's going to be too much of a cost. You know, the Bible talks about a great following, falling away. The Bible talks about people who won't understand and will walk away and turn aside from the things of God. And why do they do that? Do they do that because they're bad people? Nobody sets out that way. No, they do it because they're unprepared, unprepared for the cost. It's legal to have a private belief system, a personal, private, and quiet belief system. It only becomes a problem when Jesus wants to do stuff and change things. And in Acts chapter 4, that's what happens. He started to do something through John and Peter, and it changed a man's life, and it was starting to change others' lives. And so there was a pushback from the kingdom 
of darkness. Peter and John were not being detained for their beliefs. They were being detained for their speech. They weren't arrested for their beliefs. They were arrested for their speech. Don't speak in this name anymore to anyone. Stop talking about him. I wonder if, my, if I have to evaluate my own level of Christianity with the Lord. Would I be detained for my speech? If you were only evaluating my level of belief in the Lord with what came out of my mouth, would it be enough to detain me <laughs> in a scenario like this? I don't know. I don't know if I talk nearly as much about God as I should, especially with people who are on the fence. I don't know about you, but we've lived in a world for a long time where bringing up the Lord at work is kind of a taboo thing to do. Bringing up your relationship with God is kind of a taboo thing to do. I want to challenge you, start testing those waters again. I think the days have changed. I think people are asking again. I think people are open again. I think there is a hunger for real solid answers that maybe wasn't there six months ago. So start testing. I'm not saying be annoying or loud or abrasive and say, well, you know, you know, open your Bible. I don't have a Bible. Like you don't, I'm not saying do that. But I am saying start testing the waters again with those relationships that you have, those friendships that you've had, where maybe you've been nervous to speak about the things of God, where you've been living your life as an example and you've been kind and considerate and all those different things. Start testing the waters of your speech. Let's start talking about the things of God and what he's doing in our lives. We live in America. I'd like to say this. I believe this with all my heart. I think it will always be that there will forever be able to believe in Jesus in America. I, I do think that. I think you will always be able to believe in Jesus in America. I, I, don't, I don't have some doomsday scenario. But there is already a social, goss, a, a social cost to your speech about Jesus. There's already social cost to that. Acts 4 Christianity requires speech. The third thing about Acts 4 Christianity is that we have an allegiance to another king. Listen to what they said. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. Here's the thing. I absolutely love the pastors who are going and taking the, the in-person service, indoor fight to the court system. I love, I, that's their calling. They, they have, a, you know, bigger churches. <laughs> they might, might have bigger budgets. I think that's great. I, I absolutely love and honor and admire the pastors who feel a conviction in their heart to not have services. Man, it, I just want to protect the people, and that's how we're going to show love. I think in this environment, it is so important that we leave room for grace on both sides. There are strong opinions on both sides of services or not services. Be careful that our opinion doesn't become the kingdom of God and separate us rather than unify us. God's called us to unity. God's called us to unity in these things. I love what the John and Peter says. They say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But for we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. The, the fourth thing about being an Acts 4 people is how important a personal encounter is. What are they saying? They're saying, how can you tell us to stop talking about what we have seen and what we have heard? It's like we've been too far. I've seen too much. I've been down the road too, too far. I would say this, that's going to be absolutely key for you and I in maintaining a strong faith in the coming days, that we have regular encounters 
with Jesus. So we're not saying of what I saw and heard 30 years ago. It's not about that. It's not about what you saw and heard 30 years ago Jesus do. It's not what you saw and heard 25 years ago what Jesus did or what you heard about him doing. It's about you having experienced God. You haven't experienced an encounter with him. Peter and John, they say, we cannot speak of, we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. I think in the coming days, personal encounter is going to be more important than any other aspect of your life with God, is that you know that you know that he is speaking to you and you are encountering him. You're spending time with him and you're seeing him move on in your world and in your life. You're seeing him do things. That's going to be huge for us as Acts 4 Christians. How do they have the stamina? How do they have the ability to go into that prison or to be arrested or beaten? We see this all through the book of Acts. It's because they had had an encounter that was more powerful than the circumstance that they were facing. You and I need to push for those things with the Lord. In after that section in Acts chapter 4, it goes on, and immediately Peter and John, after they're released, they say, listen, we're going to keep talking about Jesus, and if you need to arrest us again and beat us, that's fine, but we're going to keep talking about Jesus is basically their response to the leaders. But they go into a place where there's more believers, and they basically tell them what happened, and they start to have a prayer meeting. And I want you to just, I want to highlight three verses of this prayer meeting in Acts 4, 29 through 31. So now the believers have realized, oh my goodness, our belief in Jesus is going to get us arrested. It's going to get us beaten. There's going to be a physical pain cost to this belief that we have. And this is so un-American, this prayer that they pray. I just want you, I want to give you... Because I'm going to tell you my, the way I would pray if that was my reality. If I had testimony, a couple of people say, hey, guess what? You know, if you start speaking about Jesus, here's what's going to happen. I mean, we got arrested. They told us, I know how I would pray, but listen to how they pray. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Okay, so John and Peter, they come back and they tell them, hey, listen, we just got arrested. We got warned. If we keep talking about Jesus, they are going to they're going to imprison us. They're going to beat us. They may come after our families. It's going to be a real big deal. And the response of prayer is this, Lord, you see their threats. Would you help us continue? Would you help us to speak with even more boldness? Would you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders? Can I tell you the two things they pray for? They pray for boldness and they pray for power. Here's what my prayer would sound like. They did not pray for it to end. How fascinating is that? John and Peter say, hey, listen, persecution, it's coming. They don't pray for the old normal. They say, this is where the kingdom of God's headed? Okay, Lord, give me power. Lord, give me power. Give me boldness. If this is what you're doing in the kingdom of God, if this is where we're headed, Lord, give me power and give me boldness and help me keep speaking. I don't know if you've, I've, I find myself praying, just like I said at the beginning, for the old normal rather than for God to meet me in the new normal. And empower me with boldness to speak a new message a, with a new understanding, with new power and new authority and new strength and a new heart and new passion. I think we as the people of God need to stop praying for things to stop and start praying for boldness to stand up in the midst of them. 
maybe my prayers sound like your prayers. They prayed that they would be strong enough to choose the kingdom and participate in it no matter what was going on around them. My prayer would look like this. Peter and John come in. They say, hey, this horrible thing's happening. Now, oh, Lord, look upon their threats and silence their lying tongues. That's what I would say. The Pharisees, silence their lying tongues. May all their plans fail, and may your church be victorious. Doesn't that sound like such a better prayer? My prayer is better than their prayer. John and Peter, I mean, silence them, Lord. Those Pharisees trying to come against us. Darn them. Arr, fight. We're taking this to Congress. You know, like, we're going to the Supreme Court. Like, that's not their prayer. What their prayer is, oh, Lord, give us power. They don't pray for the persecution to stop. What is that? Why wouldn't we pray for the persecution to stop? No, they pray for the boldness to stand up in the middle of it and power like never before. Why don't you guys stand with me? We're going to sing. And I want to pray for us. If, if you're here this morning and maybe you're online too, but you, you get a sense from the Lord that you need a, a new level of power in your life. You need a new level of strength. You need new understanding. Would you just open your hands with me right now? All over this outside area. I was going to say all over the room, but all over the non-room. All over the shade. If you'd open up your hands and say, Lord, I need to see you and I need to know you in a new and a powerful way. I need to encounter you in a fresh way. Lord, I pray that that would be the cry of our hearts. Lord, that just like John and Peter, we're not asking for an end to whatever persecution may come, Lord God, what we're asking for is that you would give us the kind of boldness that sees many people come to know you. Lord, that sees power happen, that sees miracles happen, signs and wonders happen. Lord, that we're not going to pray for things to stop as much as we're going to pray for you to empower us in the middle of them. Show us what you're doing in your kingdom, God, and we want to partner with that no matter what the cost, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name that you would empower every single person here and every single person watching. Empower us for service. Empower us for proclamation, Lord, that we would be people who don't just believe you. We'd be people who talk about you. Our speech would be reflective, Lord God, of knowing you and having had encounter with you, Lord. Lord God, we thank you for your church all over the world. Lord, for our brothers and sisters in China, Lord, the things that they're facing right now, God. Lord, I thank you that you would strengthen them right now in Jesus' name. Embolden them right now in Jesus' name. Lord, release your power in supernatural ways, just like we see Peter and Silas and the prison doors are shaken and they go free. Lord, we thank you for those kind of New Testament things happening in China in Jesus' name and all over the world where people face persecution, where they face torture and threat just by being people who proclaim you. Lord, we thank you that your kingdom would spread in this world like never before, and that, Lord, there would be a great multitude of people that come to know you in Jesus' name.